0: Life is a journey, and along the road, we face many temptations, including the desire to get rich quick. Anybody had a dream, and you've been lying about it? Oh, if my auntie, what's it, died and left me two million pounds, what would I do with it? Has anybody ever done anything like that? No. Don't tell lies as well. Now, there are are many angles, many ways to look at gambling. And I have to say that on Tuesday, my transform lab was asked the question at the end, what have you got to say about gambling? It was only because this particular gentleman had no idea. I've never gambled. I've never really thought about it much. I've never done the pools or bought a lottery ticket. I don't even buy raffle tickets. And you think, what's it? So I asked my transform lab what they got to say. So they've done the sermon this morning. Not really. I wouldn't put any blame on them. But we talked about it, and different ideas came up. Uh, one of them was about Abraham, who gambled with Isaac. And I thought about that for a while, and, and then I came up with this uh, in fact, I came up with this in the early hours of this morning. That Abraham didn't do a gamble with that. He was a risk taker, but he knew the one who controls all things. And when you obey him, it stops being a risk. It simply becomes a challenge. Defining the difference, well... That's tough, but that's what it's about. I was given a number of websites, thank you. I I, I even had them turned up during the uh, lab. So I've got some sheets here, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to put them here for you because there's two piles, and after the service, if anybody wants to come and grab one, they're printed up and ready to go. Is that all right? Lots of conversation, and Mrs. E threw one in, which I'll talk about later. I would like to give you a list of the scriptures, which have come from various places. And if you would, just turn with me, and we're going to go Proverbs 13 to start with. And and they should come up on, on the screen. So Proverbs 13. All right, verse 11. Dishonest money dwindles away, but he who gathers money little by little makes it grow. Dishonest money dwindles away, but he who gathers money little by little makes it grow. If you are not addicted to reading Proverbs, then I pray that that's one addiction you might just get into. Because Proverbs is an amazing book. Amazing. And the following two verses are some of my favourites. But not today. Move to chapter 23, if you would, and verse 5. And it says there, Cast but a glance at riches. And they are gone. For they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. Yes, I'll read that one again. Casper, a glance at riches, and they are gone. They will surely sprout wings and fly off like an eagle. I'll tell you what, whenever you in life get to a point where you've got a bank balance, you shout hallelujah, but before you get to that year at the end, there's a phone call that says you've forgotten to pay something. Has anybody ever noticed that? It seems to me that we can get obsessed with what we've got and what we want, and we call what we want, what we need, but we don't actually need what we want We just want to cover our needs and have lots and lots and lots and lots left over so that we can get ourselves into positions where we need more. And the more you want, the more you need. And the more you get, the more you will find things you need to get which will increase your need. And that's what this is about. You've got to get things into perspective. Look at things carefully, and don't get obsessed. You know, my grandson in Singapore the other day, he got into deep, deep trouble because he got his pocket money, and he, well, not pocket money, his allowance, and he went to school, and uh, he got a bit carried away. And so he used a big proportion of his allowance on Monday, and he got to go through to Friday. So then there was a sit down with mum and dad for a conversation of budgeting and not getting silly and not being foolish. And he turned around and says, yeah, but my friend Dudley Diddley Doo, he gets $900 a week. That's 450 pounds. Work that out, it's a salary. Could you imagine what that means? Well, I'll tell you. I think that my dad was generous because occasionally he woke up and gave me a sixpence. Yeah? And I thought all my birthdays had happened when a certain very aged great-aunt came because she would put... On the table, she'd call me young Paul and I'd be called in and there on the table would be a pile of money. But she cheated because it was all in pennies. <laughs> Even so, I have to say the pennies got counted and the pennies got spent, some of them. I, I, I saved a few. What are we saying here? You can get your eye Fixed in the wrong way. Let's go to 28 verse 19, the last one that I have in Proverbs for you. And twenty-eight, nineteen, what does it say? He who works his land will have abundant food. But, this is brilliant, but the one who chases fantasies will have his fill of poverty. If you're always dreaming about getting, you'll never get anywhere. So it's better to get up and work, thank God for what you've got, and as you'll find out in a moment or two, if you work in relationship with God and thank God for what you've got and allow God to touch what you've got, you will get what God wants to give you, which is a lot more than you've got at the moment. How's that? I can go on now. Ecclesiastes, another amazing book. Chapter 5, verse 10. Whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. This too is meaningless. Meaningless. You see, it's not what you've got, it's who you are. And who you are will determine what you do with what you've got. I told this story a thousand times. It might be boring, but on one occasion, my dad put my pocket money up to two shillings, which is 24 old pence. So I thought I'd be a clever clogs. And I went to my dad and I said to him, dad, a tithe of two shillings, 24 pence, is 2.4 pence. Does that mean that I have to pay two and a half pence, 2.5? Or... Is God okay with two pence? And my father looked at me first with horror, and then with love. And he said to me, "Son, it's threepence." It's threepence. Yeah. We shall not ask him now. <laughs> threepence. He said, "God receives your tithes because that's what you should give Him, but God pours back upon you." The blessing in accordance with your love gift. And it's the love gift above your tithe that God multiplies. Doing what is right is doing what is right. But going beyond that is doing what God calls you to do. Reflecting his love in your life back to him. And he says, I will pour my blessing upon that. So come on, give threepence. So do you know what I did? I put tuppence in next week. No, I didn't. I took that funny-shaped thing and I stood like we all do, and I waited and I dropped it, and I thought, oh please God bless it. <laughs> If we teach a child well in its early days, let me tell you something, it sticks with you. And and I can say everything we have, God has given to us and we have tithed. We've tithed in poverty. We've tithed in, in times of great challenge. We've tithed at times when there's been such terrible need. But God says, I will. So come on. Here, you've got something very, 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 very big. And if you... If you can't grab this, you, 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 you're really doing yourself no favour. So whoever loves money never has enough money. And whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. This too is meaningless. Quickly back to Exodus 20 and verse 17. Exodus 20 and verse 17. And there, you, you know it as well as I do. Don't covet your neighbor's house. You shall not cover your neighbor's wife or his manservant or his maidservant, his ox, donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Wanting, grabbing, seeking, desiring. It used to be called living up to the Joneses. Whatever they got next door, you wanted bigger and better. It's a mindset. And if that is driving you, you do take risks. But a negative risk is a gamble. And a gamble is a fool's game. And a fool's game comes from the father of fools. And the father of fools is also called the father of lies. So Satan, the father of lies, creates in the hearts of men the ability to become fools so that we fall for his glory when God wants to lift you up for his glory. Let's just go across to 1 Timothy And you'll want to mark this one down, I'm sure, and then leave it in the back of your memory forever because it will serve you well. It talks in 1 Timothy chapter 6 verse 3 onwards about the love of money and you can read that for yourselves. But if you go to verse 10, it says this, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Sin is a seed. It becomes a root. The root becomes a tree. And the tree bears fruit. And the tree of sin is the repetitive falling into sin greed is a seed greed becomes a root greed becomes a tree and greed bears fruit and the fruit of that tree is incessant greed and desires of a negative nature love of money love of money is a seed the seed becomes a root you're driven by it it becomes a tree it grows it possesses it takes over and that produces fruit it dominates and controls your life and what controls your life controls your destiny. Now we're going to just go back to Hebrews. And in Hebrews, and chapter 13 and verse 5, you'll read these words. Keep your lives free from the love of money. And be content with what you have, because God has said, I will never leave you, nor forsake you. The Lord says to you, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? And the final one in this little section is Luke chapter 12 and verse 15. And Luke 12 and verse 15 says... Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Now now some of you may be saying, hold on a minute, none of that talks about gambling. The only reason people gamble is because they want to get more. And every one of those scriptures is saying that should not be the driver of your life. Greed, desire to get more will take over and leave you in poverty. You say, yes, but what if I get rich? You know the greatest poverty, and I've seen it a number of times, is a person who, getting their first million, gets rid of their first wife. And when they get rid of their, get their second million, they get rid of their second wife. And I knew a man years ago who was a multi-millionaire, but was never satisfied. He had multi-partners, he was never satisfied. But the sadness was that when I first knew him, he was a nice bloke. But as life went on, he became a different man. He became devious. Duplicity was his nature, and it's what came out of his mouth. He'd look you in the eye and tell you one thing, go straight out and do something completely different. You see, money possesses, distorts and controls unless it is surrendered to the purposes of God in your life. We'll come to it in a moment. I, I, again, this is in the early hours of this morning. I was thinking, and I, I thought, and I want you to think, you're a parent, yeah? And you've got a 16-year-old son. And you say to him, son, I love you. I'm going to give this to you. And I want you to do something good with it. You give him a hundred pounds. And he looks at it and he says, thanks, Dad. And you watch him, and he leaves your house and he goes across the road. He walks straight into a bookmaker's and he puts it on a horse. And he loses all of it. How do you feel? How do you feel? What do you think? What do you think? Would you give them another £100? You certainly wouldn't do it straight away, would you? Or would there not be some conversations to be had? Checks and balances put in place? Now come on. Don't tell God, you've not given me what I want. Ask God, If you are the person that he can entrust with what he wants to give you. Because the truth is, God desperately wants to give you a blessing. God desperately wants you to prosper. God desperately wants you to be the head of society and not the tail. That's a biblical principle. God wants you to be a leader, not a follower. Strong, not weak. Courageous, not a coward. God wants you to be special. Why? Because you're his children. And there's not a mum, there's not a dad, there's not a granddad, there's not a grandma who don't want their kids and their grandkids to be special. Oh son, you're off to school today. Be a failure. There's a good boy. Get all your exams wrong. Get your maths wrong. Get all your English wrong. This is how you spell come. E-M-O-C. Go on, off you go. Do you do that? No. If you do, please tell me because I'll break all my principles and knock some sense into you. It is not the way. You, before your children go to school, you pray with them, don't you? I know that my daughters pray with their kids in the car and I know because I hear about it regularly I keep on thinking, please God, don't let them close their eyes while they're driving. You pray. What do you pray? You pray that God will create in them character. And you know they're going to be opposed because they come from Christian stock. You know the enemy is going to be after them from the moment they get through the school gate. You know that they are going to have not just a mountain to climb, they have got an Everest to climb. Christian kids have the devil on their tail from the moment they get out of bed in the morning to the moment they get into bed at night. What are you doing about that? And God says to you and to me, I want to invest into your life greatness, the best. I am the loving Father and I love you 24-7. I neither slumber nor sleep. I love you 24-7. And I want you to have the very best that you possibly can have. But will you walk with me? Will you talk with me? Will you confide in me? Will you trust in me? Will you allow your finances to be given to me? I will take your debt and your poverty, physical, mental, spiritual, and I will transform you. That's what God wants to do. God wants to change your life and make it something amazing because he's your dad. And no good dad would want to hurt his kids. There's plenty of bad dads in this world and I'm not going to preach about that. Now, if you go to Matthew 25 and verse 14, you'll see the starter pack. It's the teaching of Jesus. And it's the starter pack. Matthew 25, verse 14, talks about a man who's going on a journey. And so he calls his servants to him and to one he gives five talents then to the second two talents and then the third one talent according to his ability don't try to skip those words according to his ability God is not against you when he just gives you something very small He gives you something very small if that's what you can cope with because he doesn't want to crush you. God never calls you to be a brain surgeon if you can't pass the exams to become a doctor. Yeah? But God has a plan for your life which is good for you. Jeremiah 29 verse 11. I didn't write that down. That was a mistake. Don't ever think that you know better than God. So don't say, he's got two, I only got one. God says, I've given you what you can cope with, walk with me, and let's see what I can make of you. Yeah? So don't get grumpy that you haven't got what you want yet. If you trust God with what you've got, and don't be jealous of the others that have got something different, God says, good on you. Now, let's see what we can do together. The one who got five, he he was a bit of a go-getter, wasn't he? And he doubled it. And the one who got two is a bit of a go-getter, wasn't he? He's doubled it. But the one who had one, according to his ability, God, in this story, Jesus is saying, it was known that the, the master knew that he couldn't leave him out of the gift distribution, even though he knew he wouldn't do anything with it. Now, folks, I I say to you this morning, there's not one person in this room that God wants to not give to. And there's no one in this room that cannot achieve great things. Please believe that. You're a child of God. You're a child of destiny. If you love Jesus, you're going to heaven. Come on, what about that one? And because you're a child of God and because you're a child of destiny, you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. But here you've got the story. It wasn't about going and gambling. It was about doing what was right. And that's what the call of God is for you today, to do what was right. We could have a conversation about waste. And here in this story, you've got wasted opportunity. You've got all sorts of negatives, but you've got the example of positive as well. If you look at Abraham, also mentioned in our Transform Lab, if you look at Abraham and think about him, yes, He did take a risk. But yes, he did walk with God. But he heard a word. And God said, I want you to surrender your son to me. That is tough. This wasn't money. This was the most precious possession in the world to him. And God never calls you to give the 10 pences in your purse. He asks you to give the last 10 pounds in your purse or your wallet. Why? Because God blesses 10 pences in that way, but he blesses the 10 pounds in a different way. Sacrifice, when you're bringing it to God, becomes the open door of God's revelation to your life. Sacrifice, when you're bringing it to God, becomes the open door of God's revelation to your life. I think two of you managed to get it. I'll try again and maybe another one will join in. Sacrifice, when given to God, becomes the open door of revelation to your life. Abraham said yes to God when he said, take your son Isaac. And all the time, walking in fear, walking with trembling, he walked up Mount Moriah to that appointed place. He built the altar, appointed altar. He put on the stakes, appointed stakes. And then he laid his son as a sacrifice upon the altar. Willingly, Isaac gave himself to that, which always amazes me. And there we have this moment when Isaac says, where is the lamb? And Isaac, uh, Abraham says, The Lord will provide. And up to the moment that the Lord did provide, there was risk. But it wasn't a gamble, it was a trust in the one who is bigger than the risk to be taken. But the risk to be taken was not a compromise. It was not a compromise. It was not a get-rich-quick solution. It wasn't self-interest. It wasn't for self-satisfaction. It was in accordance with the will and the purposes of God. And when the will and the purposes of God are worked out and worked through, then there was a provision, a ram caught in the thicket. Now, I, I have to tell you something. It all amazes me, that story. And here's a couple of reasons why. There they are on the mountain. Yeah? They build an altar. Did anybody hear a lamb or a ram bleating? I don't think so. They got the sticks. Did anybody find any ram or whatever when they were gathering the sticks? And they then tied or placed Isaac on the altar. Was there any ram? And then there was the knife. And then there was the moment. Then there was the round. Now I want to tell you something. My wife would tell you it's absolutely true. We at times have faced situations while we've been in Birkenhead which have been horrendous. Sometimes we've woken up and almost as the light dawned, the migraine came. Not physically, but in other ways. The challenges were enormous. The, te- the, the testing was incredible. It, it, the trial of our faith was more precious than gold, tried in the fire, and will be found unto praise, honor, and glory at the appearing of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We went through the trials. We sometimes felt we were walking through the valley of the shadow of death. But I would tell you, dead simple and dead straight, He never deserted us. He always confounded us. Now, I suppose it goes back to things in my own childhood, where my parents taught me the value of of tithing and walking with God financially. My father went into business with a man when I was a little boy. The man had come back from the Korean War, and sadly something that is only now recognized. He had post-traumatic stress. And his actions and reactions, his name was Bert Knot, his actions and reactions were horrendous. One day he would be there, another day he'd be there. One day he'd do this, and another day he'd do that. And my father was developing a business, and they opened two shops, one in Long Eaton, one in Beeston. The one in Long Eaton flourished. The one in Beeston flourished on paper. But one day, my dad felt compelled to go to Beeston, and he went, and there was the shop. But it was empty. There wasn't a shred of stock in the shop. The company car had gone. The stock had gone. The equipment had gone. And the rent for the shop had not been paid for six months. And all the contractors who were providing goods and services to the shop also hadn't been paid in six months. And so there was a horrendous debt. Bankruptcy was the only way out. And my dad, he said to my mum, no, that doesn't honour God. God brought Bert to me for me to help him. The fact he's done what he's done is between him and God. But now we're going to pay every one of those debts. My dad went to the bank, explained the situation. The bank, foolishly, very foolishly, possibly wouldn't happen today, I don't know. The bank said to him, we'll support you. And so the debt was covered, the bills were paid, and the bank took the debt. My mum and dad committed themselves to prayer. I am a child, about eight, something like that, maybe nine. And I remember coming downstairs one day and coming to the back door and seeing an envelope that seemed to be rather large. And I picked it up and I ran through and I gave it to my dad and my dad opened it and burst into tears. Inside that envelope was 500 pounds. Now, 500 pounds, when I was eight, could almost buy a house. There it was. And day after day after day after day after day, without a name, without a note, and never to be repaid, gifts came. Five pounds, 50 pounds, 10 pounds. And then the debt was paid in a matter of a few months, completely cleared. The bank couldn't believe it. My parents couldn't believe it. But I learned something through it. But then I learned something else. Because one day there was a knock. And it was Bert Knotts' dad. And his dad came in and sat with my parents. And like every good eight, nine-year-old, I eavesdropped. Don't do that. It's very bad. It is a sin, but I have repented since. Anyway, he said to my dad these words. Mr. Epton, I can't apologize enough for what Bert did to you. But I want you to know that though I cannot afford to cover the debt, I'm going to give you what I've got. I've got a piece of land in Bonsall Street. And I have signed it over to you. Here are the legal papers. And you now have that piece of land in Bonsall Street. That was it. The next day, my big brother, who's six years older than I, and my uncle, and my dad, and of course a nosy little nine-year-old or eight-year-old or whatever I was, we went round to Bonsall Street, the next street to where we lived, to look at this piece of land. Oh, it was rubbish. And we went on to the land, and there was a brick thing in the middle, and my uncle, who was very tall, it wasn't really my uncle, came out of the army and came to live with us after the war. And uh, that's another story. Became a pastor, that's another story. A, a, a mighty, mighty thing happened there. That's another story. But then he's on the land, and he's a big bloke, and he walks up to this... Stone structure, and he says, "This has got to go," and he pushed the whole thing down, and it just went, Broom. and my dad stood back and said, "That's the hardcore for the foundations," and it was, and that's how that building came. What building? Oh, I didn't tell you that, did I? Up until then, the church had been meeting in hired halls all over the place. They met above a a cafe just after the war when rationing was still on and they got thrown out because the kids would go up the stairs to the church up above and they'd be looking over and say, look, he's got two eggs. Two eggs, bye. You had to be rich to have two eggs in 1952. This was our life, moving from hall to hall. My dad never got any money for that land. But he built the church, and then the church grew. And today, Long Eaton is one of the largest Elim churches in the country. And they sold that church, and that money became the deposit for their existing church today. Do you understand what I'm trying to tell you? Yeah. Risk, it's there. But the difference between risk and gambling is gambling is the trap of the devil, and risk Under God is the challenge of growth in your character. Risk is the challenge of growth in your character. God says, walk with me. He doesn't say it's going to be easy. It will be risky. He doesn't say, I want you to give me the 10 p's." He said, give me your 10 pounds. He doesn't say, do it your way. He says, do it my way. God wants you to go into the most exciting chapters of life. But they're only exciting when he writes them. They're only exciting when he writes them. I've ended this particular section with Jesus taught it. What would Jesus do? I've got one minute to finish the sermon and I've just got halfway. So would you allow me two minutes instead? Good stewards, people who know what it's like to walk with God properly and not throw away what God has given to them. Good stewards are good stewards of their time. That's why you'll be at the furnace tonight. I think the emphasis is on healing, isn't it? So furnace tonight. You know, I've I, I, I been known to pray, God let the television companies all break down tonight at 6 o'clock. Because I can't think of anywhere else to be on a Sunday night at 6 o'clock. And in this day and age where you can record all the garbage... You don't even have to sit there and go through it first time, and you can play it back later and skip the adverts, which shortens the torture. (laughs) See you tonight. God put a furnish in your heart, values in your life, and become good stewards of your time, good stewards of money, good stewards of the gifts that God has given to you. All we have and all we are belong to him. All we are and all that we will become is because of him. And God calls us not to throw our pearls before swine, but to sow so that we can reap, to give so that it can be given to us. And it will then be given pressed down and running over That's why it says in Malachi, bring your tithes into the storehouse and prove me now, says the Lord, if I will not open a window of heaven and pour upon you a blessing that there is not room enough to contain it. That's why you can never, ever, 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 ever shortcut the processes of Scripture. If it's in the Bible, do it. If it's not in the Bible, ask God and the Bible and those principles that you've got here will guide you. This series is challenging, but it's challenging you to become somebody you're not now, to grow, develop, mature, and have character. The Bible makes it clear, God does not want you to squander or lose what he has given to you. God says to us, you will be tempted to try shortcuts, but every time you say no to temptation, you say yes! To God creating character in you. Your call is not to waste it, lose it, regret it. Your call is to be a man or a woman of God. One in whom God dwells. In purity, in power, in purpose. Risk, there is no risk when you give everything to God. That's the end of the sermon. Now, if you have a problem of addiction in any area, and I'm not just talking about gambling. If you have, you've heard God's word. But there are lots of other addictions. And those addictions can be physical, financial, mental, emotional, or spiritual. If you have any problem... In relationship to addiction, if anything is binding you or holding on to you, if there's any area of your life that you need to have God's help to set you free. And yes, there's the obvious. And we can say drink and cigarettes and, and drugs. But bad thoughts. Bad temper. Wrong company, young people. The Bible says in Corinthians, bad company corrupts and destroys you know sometimes you need to be set free even from bad company if there's anything that's got a grip a toehold the bible says don't give satan a toehold can i ask you please go to pastor greg go to pastor karen go to one of your elders In confidence, make an appointment. You don't have to do it out public. I'm not here to try and embarrass anybody. But I'm here to say this morning, God has a plan for your life. It's not a plan for you to throw good things away. God's plan for your life is that you should become the man or the woman he wants you to be. Now, I know that some of you this morning will hear what I'm saying, and some of you are distracted with all sorts of things which are garbage and rubbish. But God knows how to get rid of the garbage and the rubbish from your life and make you a genuine and sincere man of God. This morning, you can choose to follow Jesus, and in choosing to follow Jesus, You can become the man God wants you to be, or you can carry on mixing your life up with things that shouldn't be there. The end is negative, but God's desire is positive. I ask you this morning, get your life sorted. Get connected with Jesus in a new way. Become God's man. There's no hiding from God. And God knows. But he also cares. The elders are here. The pastors are here. There's a couple of sets of scriptures up here. In the conversation that Pastor Greg has put out to all those preaching and so on, he gives quite a a hefty amount of info. And One thing he said was, a lottery win never changed the world. It's true. But if you give all that you have and are to Jesus, you could change the world.